Well, today we continue in our series called Wrestling with God. And I want to thank Pastor Brandon, who gave us an excellent message last week on wrestling with God's existence and the doubt, the different types of doubts that we sometimes have. Now, if the statistics are right, many of you uh, have yet to subscribe to our YouTube page. So I need you to do that. Many of you, some of you are like, what is YouTube? But that's, minus you, you you're at, you're, the outliers are excluded. If you're not part of our YouTube page, this is where you can, if you missed last week's sermon, this is where you can see it. You can go there, like and subscribe, hit the button that says, I want the notifications. That way, as we post content, you can get it and forward it and share it. It's all copyrighted, which means you can copy it right off the internet and send it wherever you want and do whatever you want with it. Well, it is good to be with you all this morning. So, if you are like me, then you are looking around at the world today frustrated, perhaps thoroughly frustrated by all the immorality, corruption, deceit that you see happening. It's everywhere. One doesn't need to look very far to see frightening examples of this. I've mentioned it before, and I'll mention it again. My frustration level is through the roof that the children of this country are being exposed to things that children should never be exposed to, nor adults for that matter, really. There are those in this country that have a clear-cut agenda with regard to gender, sexuality, marriage, and the list goes on. It is a form of grooming and radical indoctrination and is happening to our children as young as two and three years old. Many of you might have seen this on the news a couple of weeks ago, but just two weeks ago, a Texas restaurant hosted a drag show brunch open to all ages. What made this particular drag show especially disturbing was the presence of armed Antifa members who were there to guard to make sure that no one prevented uh, this event from happening. Guarding to make sure that the children that were being exposed could be exposed feeling safe. On social media, the restaurant's owner praised his staff saying, quote, I praise my staff for the inclusive environment we are creating, end quote. The moral decline, of course, that we see in this country has crept its way into churches across this country, which only compounds the level of frustration. It's one thing for me to look at society and and be frustrated with what's going on, but when I see it happening, when I see churches falling, entire denominations falling, my blood boils, and my frustration level is through the roof. Sadly, this is the world in which we now live. All of this, of course, naturally raises questions. I think questions we all wrestle with. I know they're questions I wrestle with. Questions like this. Where is God in all this? God, where are you? Are you not seeing what I'm seeing? A drag show brunch open to all ages in Texas? You know, in my, (laughs) I want to call down thunder from heaven. I want to call down fire from heaven in that moment. Are you with me? Questions like this. Why doesn't God step in and do something? I mean, it's one thing, a lot of the immorality we're seeing. It's another thing when children are being affected. Or how about this? Why do wicked people seem to get their way with no consequences? When is, where are you, God? What's going on? Not surprising, not surprisingly, we are not the first generation of Christians, of God's children, to wrestle with these questions. Today, we are going to be looking at an Old Testament prophet who very much wrestled with these exact same questions with regard to what was going on in his generation. The prophet's name? Habakkuk. And he lived roughly 600 years before the time of Christ, at a time of great moral and spiritual decline among the people of Israel, specifically Judah. As we're going to see from our text today, Habakkuk was a man who truly wrestled to understand 
why God wasn't stepping in and doing something about all the violence and all the wickedness that he was seeing. So church, it's on that note. It is my honor to take us to the book of Habakkuk. Believe it or not, it's only three chapters. You can go home and read it today in about 15 minutes. And as a matter of fact, when I'm done with this message, I hope that some of you will be encouraged to do that because you can, uh, we're going we're gonna to focus on this passage, but we're going to talk about the whole book, all three chapters. So church, it's my honor to present the Word of God this morning. The oracle that Habakkuk, the prophet, saw, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you, violence, and you will not save. Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Amen. I present to you the word of God this morning. Boy, we could almost take those very words and apply it to what is happening today, right? God, what's going on? Where are you? Don't you see what we see? Violence and contention and destruction and perverted justice is happening everywhere. Lord, where are you? Habakkuk was a man who was clearly frustrated. Just look at his words. Look at what he says. Oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Lord, don't you hear what I'm saying? I'm a good counselor, Lord. Listen to my counsel, <laughs> right? I'm so smart. Listen to me, Lord. Or I cry violence and you will not save. Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Why does it seem like, God, you're sitting on the sidelines when all this wickedness is happening around us? Habakkuk is like, God, aren't you seeing what I'm seeing? Where are you? Now, when I read this, I am tempted to think, that Habakkuk should have known better than to question God like this. But then I look in the mirror and I realize I'm doing that right now with what I see going on in our culture today. With some of the things that are happening in culture today, I just don't get it. It boggles my mind. And I'm wondering, God, what is going on? Interestingly enough, Habakkuk wasn't the first one to wrestle with these questions. So a little church history, let's go back 2,000 years from today. We're at the time of Christ. Go back 600 years BC, we're at Habakkuk. Then go to 1,000 BC and we're at the time of David. David wrote the Psalms and he often wrestled with these very questions. Let me give you an example. Psalm 13 verses 1 through 4. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foe rejoice because I am shaken. The fact of the matter is, all of us to some degree will probably wrestle with God when we see wickedness flourishing and our enemies seemingly having the upper hand. We're going to wrestle. When it happens, know you're in good company. You're in good company. You're in the company of David, Habakkuk, and many other godly men and women down through the centuries. Now back to our passage. Back to our passage. To calm the prophet down, God says, hey, I do have a plan. I do have a plan for Judah and all the wickedness that is happening there. And I, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to bring Babylon down from the north as a source of judgment. This is what it says. 
This is God talking to Habakkuk. Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, Habakkuk, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that is the Babylonians, that bitter and hasty nation who marched through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings, not their own. I love what God says here. Not only am I about to do something, Habakkuk, I see the wickedness. Not only am I about to do something, here's what I'm going to do. You want to know how seriously I take sin? I am going to do something that borders on unbelievable. I am going to bring a foreign nation down that is going to take Judah off into exile for 70 years. That's what I'm going to do. And that's important for you and me. And you want to know why? Because we are living in a generation where wickedness seems to be flourishing. Here's the good news. The wicked may flourish for a season, but never forever. The wicked may flourish for a season, but never forever. And while from a worldly perspective, it might seem like God is taking his time and bringing judgment, the truth is God always has the wicked in his sights and their days are always numbered. Now, you would think that Habakkuk would be thrilled at this, this news, right? You'd think he'd be, he'd be thrilled but he's not. <laughs> he's not because he immediately begins to wrestle with another question, which is this. How in the world, God, could you use Babylon, which is even more wicked than Judah, as the instrument of your judgment? By the way, thanks for bringing the judgment that I was just complaining about, but now that you brought it, I'm going to complain about what you brought. <laughs> Listen to what he says. This is Habakkuk talking to God. Oh Lord, you have ordained them, that is the Babylonians, as judgment. And you, O rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of pure eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up a man more righteous than he? The wrestling continues. In, Habakkuk, in Habakkuk's mind, yes, Judah's sin runs deep and God needs to do something. But bringing a nation even more wicked as a source of judgment makes no sense to him. He cannot wrap his mind around it. By the way, in Habakkuk's mind, Babylon is not only exceedingly wicked, they are seemingly unstoppable. Babylon is so powerful and so unstoppable. If you read the, the three chapters, at one point, the people of the world are described as fish and the king of Babylon is just scooping the nations up into his net and he's scooping them up and emptying his net, scooping them up and emptying his net. That's how unstoppable they are. Is he, that is the king of Babylon, then to keep on emptying his nets and mercilessly, mercilessly killing nations forever? Habakkuk's like, God, not only are they exceedingly wicked, they're unstoppable. Why in the world would you use them? I am wrestling to understand, God, what you are doing. What you are doing, God, makes no sense to me. And that's important for you and me. Here's why. Because just as Habakkuk wrestled to understand what God was doing in his generation, we too are probably going to wrestle, at least to some degree, with how God is dealing with the wickedness in this generation. Because I know how I want God to deal with the wickedness in this generation. Wipe them out. <laughs> Wipe them out. <laughs> Sons of thunder, right? For some of us, we might feel like God doesn't seem to be listening to our cries for justice. I know many of you are praying for our culture. And you're praying for the world and you're praying for God to, to change things and to change what's happening uh, specifically with regard to our children and our youth. And it doesn't seem like God is listening. For others, it feels like God is just hiding his face, ignoring what seems to be incredibly clear to us. God, don't you see what I'm seeing? Why are you absent? Where are you? 
Still for others, we might feel like God is letting our enemies prevail over us while while he seems to be sitting idly by. But we must not lose heart because as I just said, the wicked may flourish for a season, but never forever. Amen? The wicked may flourish for a season, but never forever. God just told the prophet that I'm going to bring judgment against Judah and it's going to be the Babylonians. And then he begins to wrestle with the Babylonians. To put his mind at ease, he says to the prophet, I'm going to bring judgment on the Babylonians as well in due time. And he says one, he has one little piece for, uh, of advice for the prophet. And it's this, if it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Again, folks, this is a powerful reminder to you and I in this generation, even when from a worldly perspective, it seems like God is taking forever and bringing wicked people to account. The fact is God's judgments are much closer than we think. The wicked may flourish for a season, but never forever. By the way, did you know that the Bible speaks of God's final judgment as radically imminent? Imminent. I can prove it to you. James 5, 9, do not grumble against one another, brother brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is what? Standing at the door. This is 2,000 years ago. And the apostles are saying, the judge is literally standing at the door. This is how imminent the God, the God of the universe is in bringing judgment upon the world. Peter said it this way, with respect to this, that is the people of this world, with respect to this, they, the people of this world, are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. He is standing at the door, and the Bible says he is ready to judge the living and the dead. Revelation 22, you know this. Behold, I am coming, what? Soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. So the Bible speaks of two ages, this age and the age to come. The fact is, the age that we are currently in is racing towards a dramatic end, which will culminate in Jesus Christ judging the world. Now I wanna point out, and I'm a young earth creationist, I know you all know that, this church doesn't take a stance on the age of the earth, but you know that I do, I'm a young earth creationist, which I means I believe that God created the earth in six literal days about 4,000 years ago. You can agree or disagree with me on that, but what I wanna point out is from a young earth creationist standpoint, world history is unfolding at light speed. God created the earth sometime around 4,000 BC. God flooded the earth around 2300 BC. He called Abraham around 2000 BC. He raised up King David at 1000 BC. He brought the Israelites back from exile, Babylonian exile in 495 BC. And he sent his son who literally divided world history into BC AD into the world. And the Bible says this very son stands ready at the door to bring judgment upon the world. So when I say that world history is unfolding at light speed, I mean it. So if it seems like God is taking a long time, he is actually not. Never forget, the wicked may flourish for a season, but never forever. Remember the words that God spoke to the prophet. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Amen? Amen. Now, here's where things get even more interesting. Habakkuk, I said, is three chapters. And in chapters one and two, we see the prophet wrestling with God. God, why aren't you bringing judgment on Judah? Okay, now you're bringing judgment. I don't like what you're bringing. I'm, I'm wrestling. I don't understand. But chapter three, things change. Because in chapter three, we find a man with a radically different perspective. We find a man who is experiencing genuine peace, even as the circumstances around him boggle his mind. 
Can I prove it to you? In response to God telling him to be patient, he says this, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. God, you've told me to be patient, to wait. It will surely come. So I will wait quietly for that day. And then it's followed by this. Listen to this. The very next verse, 17 through 19, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like a deer's. He makes me tread on high places. Fascinating. Habakkuk began by questioning how God was running the world, yet he finishes as a man who is able to rejoice in the Lord, even as the circumstances around him boggle his mind. And as you can see, he's describing some pretty bad circumstances. Look what he says. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herds in the stall. Folks, that's bad. Israel, of course, relied heavily upon agriculture for its existence. And what he's saying here is, even if we're invaded by a foreign nation, even if all means of self-preservation in this process are stripped away, even then I will rejoice in the Lord. Even if the circumstances around me boggle my mind, I will rejoice in the Lord. Which naturally makes me think, could I do the same under similar circumstances? Could you? Guess what? We're in similar circumstances. We are in similar circumstances. The fact of the matter is, when the circumstances in this world or in my life boggle my mind, I am often impatient, upset, angry, and distraught. <laughs> it is easy to rejoice in the Lord when the economy is strong and everything makes sense to me. But what happens when those things are stripped away? Habakkuk says, if they're stripped away, this is going to be my response. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like a deer's. He makes me tread on high places. That, my friends, is incredible. Temporal circumstances will no longer determine the prophet's attitude. He will rejoice in the Lord even as circumstances around him boggle his mind. I don't get it, God. You're using a more wicked nation than ours to bring judgment. God, I don't get it because with war and with being taken over, we might lose all means of self-preservation. All of this is boggling my mind, but God, I know this. I'm going to praise you in the midst of it. I am going to praise you in the midst of it. So remember earlier how we read Psalm 13 from King David? It only consists of six verses. I only read the first four to you. I want to read the final two to you. So let's go back. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say I have prevailed over him, lest my foe rejoice because I am shaken. And then we read this but I have trusted in your steadfast love. 
My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Amen. David, like Habakkuk, begins this psalm wrestling to understand why God seems to be so distant and why his enemies seem to be always getting the upper hand. But he ends this psalm the exact same way Habakkuk does in our passage today. Despite the circumstances going on around him, folks, there is joy in David's heart and a song on his lips. My heart shall rejoice. There's joy in my heart. And I will sing to the Lord. There's joy in my heart and a song on my lips, even though the world around me boggles my mind. Amen? I can be a person. You're telling me that I can be a person with joy in my heart and a song on my lips, even though the world around me boggles my mind, even though there's drag shows happening for children and nobody's doing anything about it? Yes. As terrible as that is. This was the case for David. He took his eyes off his circumstances, put them on the Lord. Let me ask you a question this morning. Can it be said of you that there's a joy in your heart and a song on your lips? For many of us, the temptation is to do what I do. And that is to fixate what's going on in the world or in our own life and go, God, none of this is making sense. I don't know why you've allowed this into my life. I don't know why you've allowed this into our culture. I don't know why that you've allowed this into our country. Whatever it might be, it boggles our mind. And when it boggles our mind, it disrupts our hearts. And so instead of being a people of peace filled with joy and a song on our lips, we're angry, bitter, upset, complaining, distraught. Listen, the fact of the matter is there are always going to be crazy things that happen in this world and to you personally. Things that you're going to wrestle with God to understand. There are things that have happened to me and that happened in this world. I don't get it. I started this message by talking about Antifa and them surrounding this drag show in Texas. Folks, that weighs on my heart. And I'm going to tell you, it boggles my mind. But I cannot let it affect my perspective. I cannot you see, if I'm not careful, if we are not careful, we can begin to act like everyone else in this world whose hearts are filled with anxiety, despair, fear, and hopelessness, and we become bitter, argumentative, and we look like everyone else. Folks, we are not to look like everyone else. Amen? We are to be a different people. We are a called out people, called out of this world. We are filled with the Spirit. We are a changed people, and a changed people should live differently. We can either be filled with anxiety, despair, fear, hopelessness. We can be argumentative, angry, and upset and bitter. Or we can shine as lights to those around us as a people who have joy in our hearts and a song on our lips. With joy in our hearts and song on our lips. Because you want to know what happens when you are a person that has joy in your heart and song on your lips? People take notice. And I can prove it to you biblically. I finished with this passage and then just one final thought. Paul and Silas are beaten and thrown into jail. God, this is what it means to follow you. I'm going to be beaten and end up in jail. That kind of boggles my mind. Shouldn't it be easy for me? No, you're going to end up in jail. You're going to be beaten. But listen to what happens. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. 
and the prisoners were listening to them. By the way, do you want to know what happens next? I didn't put it in here because it's kind of long. You can read it. There's an earthquake. And the Bible says all the prison doors, all the shackles, everything falls, uh, is wide open. Anyone can escape, including Paul and Silas. And the jailer rushes in, and he is so certain, given what he's seeing, that everyone has escaped. He's about to impale himself. He's about to kill himself. He draws his sword to kill himself. But Paul cries out, and he says, we are still here. Not just me and Silas, but all the other prisoners as well. Which begs an interesting question. Why did the other prisoners stay? I can understand perhaps why Paul and Silas stayed, because they were trusting in God. But why did the other prisoners stay? Was it because they saw something in Paul and Silas that was worth staying for? Did they hear the prayers and the hymns and say, there's something there that I can't find out there? And so it's worse staying in prison to hear these guys than to go out there and hear the nonsense out there. Amen? Listen, folks, when you are a person whose heart is filled with prayer, when there's joy in your heart and, and a song on your lips, and you are focused on the Lord, and even though the world around you might boggle your mind, everything that's going on and what's going on in your life might boggle your mind, you are praising the one true God and glorifying him wherever you go. People are going to take notice, and some are going to be offended. Many will be offended. People will hate you for having joy in your heart and a song on their lips, but others will see you and go, I don't know what it is about you, but I want that. I want that. In a day and age where everybody's bitter and upset and angry and complaining and argumentative and wanting to fight, here are you praising the God of the universe. How do you do that? How do you do that despite all the wickedness that's going on? Here's how. The wicked may flourish for a season, but never forever. If God's judgment seems slow, be patient. Wait for it. It will not delay. It will come. Until then, let's shine as a people who love God who sing his praises wherever we go, glorifying him and magnifying him for who he is because he has dealt, as David said, bountifully with us. Amen? God has been good to us. Even, even if, the, even if the, all means of self-preservation are stripped away from us, God is still dealing bountifully with us. He has sent his son to die for us. He has redeemed us, and we have an inheritance that cannot spoil, fade, being kept in heaven for us. God has dealt bountifully for us, with us. Let's be a people who acknowledge that wherever we go. Amen? Amen. Would you pray with me? Oh, I finished here real quick. I finished with this question. Are you ready to rejoice in the Lord, even if the circumstances of this world sometimes boggle your mind? <music>